Hello, my name is Meg. Welcome to the Unedited Podcast. Thank you so much for joining me today. The goal of this podcast is to help you both develop and enjoy the habit of daily Bible reading and prayer. About 20 years ago, at a very low spot in my life, I was convicted to begin this simple discipline, and I looked up to see how God had used this simple habit to heal deep places in my heart and do incredible things in my life. And so over the years, it's really become my greatest passion to help others get to know Jesus through his word and through his presence. Through this podcast, I'm hoping to help you see the word of God with fresh eyes, to learn to slow down with your Bible, and ultimately to fall in love with your Bible. So thank you so much for joining me today. I'm so incredibly glad to have you here. Before we begin today, I wanted to ask if you would be willing to share the unedited podcast if you've been helped or strengthened in the habit of daily Bible reading and prayer in any way, or if you think something that's been shared could be an encouragement or a benefit to somebody that you know, would you consider passing it on either via text, via email, even via social media, or even leaving a review where you listen? Um, I'm so passionate about the habit of Bible reading and prayer and about its effect in our lives. And I just so appreciate you considering partnering with me in spreading this message. So thank you so much again for considering that. Today, I have a very, very full heart. I've been doing a lot of mental processing and a lot of praying and thinking about this episode. And I probably have four to five hours of things I could share. I will not do that to you today. I'm going to do my very best to pare those thoughts down and hopefully synthesize this into something that's cohesive, able to be understood, and hopefully only about 10 minutes long. And so to that end, I will just tell you we're going to talk about three primary calls that are on each of our lives, and even a little more specifically about how to be an answer to Jesus' prayer request. I am not sure who all will listen to today's episode. I'm sure that it's going to find people at different places in life. No matter where you are, I can assure you that God is at work in your life and that God's trying to get your attention. He's trying to get you to pay attention to your soul. He's trying to get me to pay attention to my soul and to the most important topics of eternity. And I can also tell you that no matter where you are, no matter who you are, that you have a call on your life. I was reminded just again in processing through all the myriad thoughts for this episode, that there really are three calls on our lives. The first call is a universal call to salvation, to be saved from sin. The Bible tells us that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. When Jesus was here on earth, he said very specifically in the Gospels that he came to earth to call sinners to repentance. And the Bible is very clear. It says it's not God's will that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And we are instructed in the word of God to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. Very briefly, in a nutshell, salvation, as Peter declared on the day of Pentecost, is very simple. The crowd that was gathered there that day that had just witnessed the birth of the church said, what should we do? And Peter got up and he told them, repent, 
be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Now many have not heard of this experience and many have not had this experience, but it is available to everyone. Peter went on following that to say, for the promise is to you and to your children and all who are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. And so we are a part of all who are afar off some 2,000 years later. And just very quickly breaking down Peter's instructions to them, he told them first to repent. Repentance is a turning away from sin. It's often accompanied with godly sorrow. It's a turning away from self, saying, God, I surrender my will. I surrender my ways. I'm not going to do things the way I want to do. Because often God's will cuts across the grain of our flesh and our natural desires and our natural tendencies, saying, God, I'm going to be part of your kingdom and no longer part of the kingdom of darkness. And again, it's a change of heart. It's a change of mind. It's a change of direction. That's repentance. Secondly, he told them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of their sins. Baptism in the name of Jesus is where his name is applied to us. His blood is applied to us and our sins are remitted or removed, washed away permanently and forever. And thirdly, he said, you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. They had just received the gift of the Holy Ghost with something called the evidence of speaking in tongues, which may again be a foreign concept to some, but I would encourage you to study it out. Reach out to an apostolic church, ask them for a Bible study. They would be happy to show you in scriptures. I would encourage you to read the book of Acts, read Acts chapter 10, where at the end of that chapter, once Cornelius' household has been preached to and they've received the same experience that they had on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, it says this. They said, we know they received the Holy Ghost because we heard them speak with tongues just like we did at the beginning. That's a Megan paraphrase. But again, this is just the plan of salvation in a nutshell. There's a lot of supporting scripture throughout the Bible. I would be happy to answer questions. Shoot me an email at Unedited at yahoo.com. I think I just gave you the correct email address. It is on my website, which is megunedited.com. Anyways, that is the first call to be saved. The second call is for us to know him. God created us for relationship. He wants a relationship with you. He wants a relationship with me. He wants to know us in the deepest places of our souls. He wants us to hold absolutely nothing back from him. And this is where Bible reading and prayer comes in. This is where we get to know his heart. This is where we get to know him as a friend that sticks closer than a brother. And Bible reading and prayer is not about getting something from God. It's about getting to know God. Many people think, oh, this is where I bring God my list of needs. This is where I bring my list of requests. And yes, that's an element. Petitions are an element of Bible reading and prayer. But ultimately, it is about getting to know him and forming and nurturing and fostering a relationship. And this is where God does deep work in our lives. This is where he heals the deep places And this is where, in the second call, God begins to prepare us for a third call. We'll get to the third call in just a second, but we cannot share what we don't have. We can't pour from an empty vessel. And so in the process of Bible reading and prayer, and again, daily giving the Word of God and the presence of God access to our hearts, this is where overflow is produced so that we're going to have something to give out to those that we meet throughout our day. This is where we fill up for whatever God is going to bring into our life that day, whatever assignments he meets out. 
Bible reading and prayer, the second call of knowing him. It's how we plug our little branch into him. It's where a transference of resources takes place. And it's where he gives us something to give to others. It's where he downloads his heartbeat into our chest. And we cannot adequately answer the third call if we're not answering the second call. Jesus said, and I come back to this verse so often, but he said this, apart from me, you can do nothing. And so the second call of getting to know him once we're saved and the third call work together. They work in tandem The third call is to help others get to know him and to be a worker for his kingdom. Jesus' prayer request was this. In Matthew 9, 36 to 38, we see this. It says, When he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. Then saith he unto his disciples, The harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. So the third call on our lives is to partner with Jesus to make disciples. We are called to teach the gospel, to preach the gospel. We're not saved just to sit. We're not saved just to scrape into heaven. We're not saved simply to have a relationship with God for our own personal benefit and our own personal healing and to have a better life now. But in forming a relationship with him, he's going to give us commissions. He's going to give us work to do for his kingdom. And in having a relationship and in forming a relationship with him, he's going to give us resources to pour out into the others that he brings into our lives. And he is going to assign us work. Often it is not glamorous. Often it's not going to give us any notoriety. Most of the time, the work God gives us in reaching out to the lost and helping others get to know him and in encouraging his body is going to go unnoticed by everybody but him. He calls us to secret work. In Matthew 6, I believe, he calls us to fast in secret, to pray in secret, and to give in secret. Most of the time, the work of the kingdom of God is very little work, very ordinary work, not always grand and not always notable, but it is work given out by God. And this is the third call to be laborers, to be workers in his kingdom and to help others get to know him. And so today I just felt to remind us that there are three calls. First of all, to be saved, that when we get to the end of our lives, we will be in right standing with God according to the plan that he laid out in his word. Secondly, It is our job to get to know him. Many people stop with salvation. And God does not just want us, again, to be born into his kingdom. He wants us to grow to maturity and get to know his heart. And thirdly, we're called to help others get to know him. We're called to have his heartbeat beating in our chest. Today, I am going to share an episode or an entry, excuse me, called Workers and Weepers. Kind of ties in with the third call that each of us has on our lives to be a worker, to be an answer to Jesus' prayer request, to be a laborer. Without further ado, here's today's unedited entry, Workers and Weepers. Last Sunday, I was driving and praying for Michael and Dakota and thanking God for sending them. As I was thinking, praying, musing, Matthew 9, 37 to 38 came into my mind. Then he said unto his disciples, The harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. 
Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth laborers into the harvest. All week, this verse and the fact that God is looking for, longing for laborers, workers, has been on my heart. On Monday evening, this little line of thought about workers was front and center when suddenly Psalm 26, 5 through 6 converged with it. By the way, I love when God does this with his word. He will bring verses together in your mind. They start to come together like puzzle pieces. It's so amazing. Psalms 26 says this, They that sow in tears shall reap in joy. He that goeth forth and weepeth, bearing precious seed, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. Workers and weepers. The first half of this thought is work. Jesus specifically told his disciples to pray for workers. They were not required to go hunt workers down, but simply to pray that God would send more laborers into the harvest field, that the workforce would match the available harvest. And he said laborers. I thought there might be some deeper revelation in this, so I looked up the word in Hebrew. No deep revelation, just work. A workman, a laborer, one who works for hire, one who does, a worker, a perpetrator. Jesus didn't ask them to pray for more preachers, though preaching is work. 1 Timothy 5.17 says, Let the elders that rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in the word and doctrine. He didn't ask them to pray for more religious leaders or celebrities or people of any specific position, just workers, people who are willing to roll up their sleeves and make the harvest their primary focus. The harvest is work. Revival is work. Years ago, pastors said, we go from glory to glory and in between is a lot of hard work. It's true, and that's why Jesus gave instructions for prayer for workers. In Jesus' day, before the automation and technology we have today, the work of a laborer was intense. It required being on your feet all day, more than likely carrying something to put your harvest in. It involved the hot sun, it involved the field, which I learned one summer picking corn is anything but pleasant. If it was wheat harvest, it involved bending and swinging a sickle. It was work, labor-intensive, back-breaking work. So is the work of the harvest of souls. Jesus said the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Many people will say they want to see a great harvest of souls, but few will pick up a sickle. I love the words of Thomas Edison, Opportunity is missed by most people because it is dressed in overalls and looks like work. Let me just jump in here and say, I'm not sure if Thomas Edison really said that or not, but I saw it on the internet and I like the quote, regardless of who said it. Just for any fact checkers. The opportunity to reroute souls to heaven looks like work most often. It is scrubbing bathrooms after a Sunday service, opening your home and preparing a meal and a display of Christ's love through hospitality. It is rearranging your schedule to prepare for and teach the word of God to others. It is handing over a Kleenex as you listen to a broken heart that Jesus is going to restore. It is teaching Sunday school to an audience that may or may not be paying attention. It is mopping floors after fellowship nights, driving a van to youth events, and picking up those with no transportation so they can be in the house of God. It's looking for divine intersections throughout your day and being willing to stop your agenda to connect with the harvest. It's making calls, visiting the sick, sending notes, shoveling snow, baking cookies, being at choir practice or children's ministry practice or music practice, 
clearing tables, mailing postcards, cleaning windows, raising your children in the fear and the admonition of the Lord, taking responsibility to teach them to love and obey his word. It's time on your knees and in his word, asking for his heart for the harvest. Sometimes it's leaving the familiar and the comfortable to answer a call that takes you to a new city, a new country, a new continent. It's praying with individuals as they repent and are filled with God's spirit and are ministered to and encouraged and healed by the presence of God. It's being willing to do whatever needs to be done, even if it's not glamorous, even if no one ever knows you did it, even if it never leads to a title or an office, even if it's just work. The workers are few, which leads to the old rule, 20% of the people doing 80% of the work. But what if we changed that and we all rolled up our sleeves and laced up our work boots and went to work? What if 80% or 85% or 100% of us decided that the harvest was our primary focus and that we were willing to put on our work clothes and do whatever work the Lord of the harvest assigned us that day? I think our chances of losing none of the precious harvest would skyrocket. If I spend less time wasting time and more time investing time, I think my chances of impacting the harvest dramatically shift. If I am willing to pick up the tools of harvest every day and remind myself that people are God's highest creation, they will become my primary focus. I will be sent as a worker into the harvest. Two little thoughts about the harvest occur to me. Number one, the harvest is not out there. The harvest is not only some far off tribe in Africa or some group of people in some far flung region of the world to whom I have no access. Access, excuse me. The harvest is where you are. The harvest is in my home, on my job, at my school, at the stores I patronize and the restaurants I eat at. The harvest is driving in cars next to me, sitting on the plane or train next to me. If it is a people, it is the harvest. We must see everyone we meet as a potential soul for his kingdom. He loves each individual so much. The harvest is where you are. Number two, you don't have to randomly start running around and assigning yourself work. Just do the work that God gives you well. Make yourself available to him and then be willing to do every task for his glory. Sometimes the great work of the kingdom is little work. Kingdom work for me today is whatever is on my to-do list, whatever those who God has placed over me ask of me or need from me. God will assign me more work as I do the work I already have. It is imperative to remember the words of Paul, work willingly at whatever you do as though you are working for the Lord rather than people. Remember the Lord will give you an inheritance as your reward and that the master you are serving is Christ. Colossians 3, 23-24 Your work is his work. Do it well and be open to new work. When he sees you working hard and working well, he'll give you more. That is part one, workers. Part two is weepers. Just before Jesus' statement to the disciples to pray for laborers, we see this verse. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered as sheep having no shepherd. The plea for workers was not a dispassionate appeal for people who could simply swing a sickle or carry a basket. It was an impassioned appeal, not only for those who would work, 
but for those who would work because the harvest was their heartbeat. It is one thing to work out of duty or obligation or necessity, but it is an entirely different thing to work out of passion and intensity and devotion. It is the difference between a labor and a labor of love. What is born out of a passion and compassion for the harvest will make you a worker, but it will also make you a weeper. God is the Lord of the harvest and is responsible to grow things and give increase, as Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 3, 6 through 7. But we have several roles as we partner with him in his fields. Sow, water, reap. Q Psalm 126. They that sow in tears shall reap in joy. He that goeth forth and weeps, bearing precious seed, will undoubtedly come again with rejoicing, bringing his harvest with him. Those who plant the precious seed of God's word and water it with their tears and prayers will beyond a shadow of a doubt have a harvest to rejoice about. It is work, watered by weeping, that yields a harvest worth rejoicing over. It is the combination of heart and hand that allows us to impact the harvest. First, let us be an answer to Jesus' prayer request for laborers, and while we answer the call to work, let us weep. For it is weeping that makes way for rejoicing. It is weeping that yields sheaves. It is seeds, watered by tears, that result in harvest. Make me a worker, make me a weeper. And there's a little quote from Nolis Shaw who wrote this, we shall come rejoicing, bringing in the sheaves. What an incredible thought that we personally, individually can be the answer to Jesus' prayer request, that we can partner with him in his mission to reach a lost and dying world. I just felt again today to remind us that there's three calls in our life and that it is at the feet of Jesus that commissions are given. It's at his feet that he downloads his heartbeat into our chest and that it's as or it's at his feet that we are fueled for the work of the kingdom, that we're fueled for the work that we ca- we're called to. Don't be afraid of ordinary work. Don't be afraid of mundane work. Don't be afraid of small work. Be encouraged in whatever God has given you to do. Do it well, do it with love, and do it as unto the Lord. I love a quote from Martin Luther, and he said, I have so much to do that I shall spend the first three hours in prayer. And often our to-do list seems very long, but it will be prayer and filling up at the soul filling station that's going to equip us for the work of the kingdom. Prayer and the word are going to equip you for whatever God has called you to today. Thank you so much for joining me for this journey. I look forward to meeting up with you again next Friday. If you have questions or to download a typed or handwritten transcript of today's entry, you can visit meganedited.com. For now, go grab your journal and your Bible. I so look forward to the power of this habit in your life. And again, if you have any questions about the plan of salvation as I shared, please, please, please send me an email. I'd love to connect with you on it. This is unedited. This is for you. Happy Friday.